Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, here in Hamilton, COVID-19 cases continue to rise. The city wants everybody to stay home and only go out if absolutely necessary. The Director of Emergency Operations, Paul Johnson, joins us to talk about that. More than 1.9 billion people are in isolation around the world. How are the European nations handling the COVID-19 situation? Well, we'll talk with Global News European Bureau Chief Crystal Gamansing about that. And yesterday, Doug Ford announced that by midnight today, all non-essential businesses must close. We'll talk about the impact that's going to have on the economy. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. The city continues to advocate for everybody to stay home and only go out if absolutely necessary. Paul Johnson is the director of our Emergency Operations Center here in the city of Hamilton, and he joins us on The Bill Kelly Show to give us an update. Paul, thank you for the time. A really busy day, and I'm glad you could jump in for a few minutes for us today. Okay, I'm having a little trouble hearing Paul. So, hey, Bill, are you there? There we are. Now we are. Okay, oh, good to go. beautiful. There we go. It's a pleasure to be with you, Bill, first thing in great, the morning. Great to have you, Paul. We're just working on a couple of the bugs, and we're going to be just fine after this. Uh, social distancing. I know you've been preaching this. The mayor has been preaching this. The prime minister, uh, the premier, everybody is going. Uh, just, I, I don't know that we're doing a very good job of it. I mean, you know, I'm still hearing stories, and I'm sure you are, of people that are going out and playing touch football in the parks and playing on playground equipment. Uh, that stuff is supposed to be taboo at this stage. Are we not doing a good enough job of getting the message out, or are people just ignoring us? Uh, so certainly I think the message is out there. I, I think there's some confusion about exactly what this means, and, and perhaps we've been a bit uh, coy in our messaging, and so it's time to get to, to, to brass tacks, and that is there's a few messages that are coming out. It's clear from the Prime Minister. It's clear from the Premier. It's been clear locally. Uh, this is the time to stay at home. If you absolutely need to leave your home for a few essential things, it could be work, it could be going to get groceries, it could be going to uh, pick up prescriptions, uh, that's fine. If you want to walk around the block uh, to get out and you can do so uh, with, uh, without a lot of people around you, that's fine. But this is uh, not a time to be doing some of the same activities. Uh, it's not a time for play dates with uh, kids. It's not a time to allow your, your kids to go and play uh, basketball in the local park. Uh, this is this is all stuff that shouldn't be happening, and we 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 need to recognize that the message is very clear. You're going outside your home when you have to do something that is essential. You're not going outside your home to do something in a slightly different way than you did before. And so, um, uh, you know, we saw uh, literally thousands of people in our uh, in some of the conservation areas over the weekend. Uh, unacceptable. Uh, this is not a place to go for destination travel. Uh, if you need to get outside, which is perfectly acceptable if you can keep that physical separation, uh, this is about within your local neighborhood taking a bit of a, a run around. If the kids want to play outside on the, on, the, on the driveway or in the back area, if you do have that area uh, where you live, that's fine. If you're in an apartment building, walk around the block. If there's a local park right by, fine, but you have to monitor who's there. Uh, and, and if there's not enough, if there's too many people in an area, uh, you need to say, okay, I'm going somewhere else or I'm coming back at a different time. And, and I do think that the message uh, has been getting out, but I, I don't know whether it's been misinterpreted. Uh, when we did say it was okay to be outside, uh, we did not mean that it's okay to plan a trip uh, to an area or to go and do all the things you usually do or to, uh, you know, those types of things. So we've started to be very clear. Uh, our play structures in Parkville are closed. I, I asked people to stay off them previously. The mayor reinforced that, and now we're being very clear. They're closed. Don't access any of the play structures. They're not sanitized, 
and uh, we don't want people on them. And I think we're going to be tighter and tighter on that messaging, but we need the public to help us out. And the pictures that I've heard and the emails that I've had sent or pictures I've seen, the emails that I've had sent to me, the, 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 the issues that people have raised that I've heard in phone calls and things, uh, they are a bit disheartening because it's not three or four people getting together and a little too close. They're talking about 30, 40, 50 people. They're talking about thousands of people at a park. It's, it's, it's just uh, not going to help us in this virus situation. Well, the thing that I find frustrating about this, and I'm sure you guys do too, Paul, is there are so, still, I think, too many people in this community. I mean, let's face it. I know this is an international problem and a crisis, and, but let's just deal with the Hamilton issue, who just think that this is business as usual, that, you know, we're just going to continue. It was a nice day this past weekend. Let's go and play. They seem oblivious to the fact that this is a, a pandemic. This is a virus. This is a killer and and that's why you're not supposed to go outside because it's out there. You don't know where it is on a on a swing in a playground structure. It could be on a hand railing. It could be anywhere. Uh, you know, we, we've got to take this a little more seriously. I know you at the city are doing this, uh, and I think a lot of the people in this community seem to have gotten that message. But uh, the, you know, the people that don't, you know, because and I've heard the stories, and I'm sure you have too. Oh, come on, you know, I, I can tough it out. I'm in good shape and everything. Uh, young people that are in good shape have died from this. And even if you don't have the, the worst symptoms and if you don't suffer from it you're a carrier and you could be passing it on to somebody else and i think that's the the message that that is really resonating with me and and the mayor uh, started a few days ago to, to say it in this way and i think it's great we need to assume we're all carriers mm-hmm. and if we all if we all did that then we wouldn't have an issue because if i think to myself that i'm a carrier i will ensure that i i don't want to to infect anyone and if everybody did that uh, we would have no issues because we'd all be thinking about that each and every day. And the reality is this this is a virus that um, yeah, you can be carrying and not, not know you're passing it on for several days. So unlike other things where it's very uh, contagious uh, during uh, the phase where you're exhibiting all the symptoms, this is a little different. And so that's the problem is uh, I feel fine, I'm in great shape, so I'm going out not knowing uh, that potentially you're helping to to spread the virus, and that's that's why some of these measures are in place. It's why COVID nineteen is a little bit different. As I've uh, you know been listening to our medical officer of health and talk about this uh, this virus, and that's the piece that that we need to understand. And that's why these measures are here. They're not they're not here because this is something fun to do. The economic, social, uh, and environmental impacts of some of these measures are significant, so they're not taken lightly. But this is the way that there is an opportunity to. Uh, to, to lessen the impact all at once of this virus and not overwhelm our healthcare system, uh, spread out the number of cases uh, over time so that we can handle them and, and properly treat them. We're not going to stop this dead in its tracks, but we are going to try and find ways to not have a tremendous spike like you've seen in other countries and jurisdictions around the world. That's the best I mean- medical advice we're getting at the moment. Exactly. There's got to be some self-policing here as well. Uh, I've heard stories about some grocery stores, and I guess even the LCBO, some locations, have actually gotten to the point of actually hiring security people now to limit the number of folks that can go inside the stores. Uh, and that's obviously their attempt at social distancing. And it, most of the time, I'm told, people are complying with that. I, we can't physically do that, Paul, with all of the, uh, you know, the, the conservation lands or the play structures. I mean, we can't start having guards there and, and security people there saying, move out of this. You, you've got at some point rely on the people to, to take this upon themselves we we do and and you're quite right we can't so uh you know i know people say well what is the city doing to enforce it all over we have you know nearly 1200 square kilometers of space 
Uh, we can't police um, physical separation and social distancing. In fact, we're just trying to make sure that we can deliver the essential services each day. And I really applaud the, the folks that are doing the right thing so that they can keep services going, and particularly the retail outlets of, of food and, and the pharmacies and the, the, the places that we, we're going to need to stay open. You have to eat, you have to have access to medication, all those things. Um, and, and the mechanisms they're putting into place are, are, are fantastic. They are doing their part to say, hey, our store can't have four, five, six hundred people in it at a time, so we're going to limit it. And, and that's a, a great way to ensure that we're, we're as safe as we can be doing the things that we absolutely have to. Workplaces are doing the same thing. You know, we're less than 15% of our staff are coming to any physical location at the city of Hamilton. That means over 85% are working from home. And that was a, our attempt to be a, a model employer. The folks that are in our buildings are folks that need to be there to do certain jobs. There just, they're just are things that have to happen. Payroll's an example. They're just, they have to be on site in order to process payroll and get our employees paid. Uh, water, uh, at, at Hamilton Water, you have to be on site to do certain things. So we're trying to do uh, our part. It's really important that everybody looks at, at their own situation and says, so how will I do my part to stay at home wherever possible and only make those trips that are absolutely essential for myself, for my family? And, and we've also talked about this in the past, but it bears repeating, I guess, uh, that you have tailored some of the services that are we consider to be essential, uh, for instance, public transit, uh, to to accommodate this and, and to accommodate the, the social distancing that's going on. Uh, and I, I guess the, the, the takeaway from this is if you have to go out and if you're going to use public transit, uh, listen to, to the operator because there are certain restrictions about the, where you can sit, even where you can board the bus and get off the bus. Yeah, absolutely. We're asking all uh, uh, all of our transit users to board from the rear, except those with personal mobility devices. They will board from the front so that um, uh, operators don't have to walk through the bus each time to help those passengers uh, have access to buses. It does mean we're not collecting fares, but what's happening is that, that not everybody's using transit, again, for essential trips, and we want that to be what transit is there for right now. We've had to reduce the frequency of service just a little bit. We're there for our transit users. We're there for the city of Hamilton. Our drivers have been absolutely awesome. They've worked with us and the union leadership uh, with management to say, how can we make these things happen? And uh, they continue to come to work every day and deliver a great service, and we're doing everything we can to keep them safe and also keep our passengers safe. And the other piece, of course, we had a little hiccup yesterday with waste collection. Uh, we've worked through those issues. We're back on the road today for waste collection. We'll be catching up with the stuff that didn't get collected yesterday while obviously doing the Tuesday, uh, the Tuesday work. And that is the, the relationship that we have. And I just can't say enough about the workers at the city of Hamilton who are out there uh, doing, doing their job because they have to. Waste collection is a critically important job. Uh, yesterday, there were just some concerns that were being raised and, and they wanted us to address it together as a city and with our workforce. We did that. And uh, I'm really, really thankful for uh, for the work that our waste collectors are putting in, our transit operators, our first responders. Uh, everybody is is doing what they need to do for those that deliver uh, essential and critical services for the city. There's another element to this too. Is uh, is is onerous as this might be when we've talked to and i don't think it is that onerous frankly uh some of the restrictions and some of the things you're asking people to do uh 
the city could and may at some point have to ramp this up, as other jurisdictions have done. I, I know you had some problems that uh, you mentioned the, the conservation lands at the waterfalls again over the weekend of people going there. Uh, there were city staff there trying to direct them, don't go here, you can't do this, and they were getting abused by a number of people, verbally abused by a number of people. Uh, other jurisdictions, and Quebec comes to mind, Paul, I mean, they're ticketing people or, or, or charging people in, in situations like this. Uh, I, we're not there yet in this area, but, you know, if people aren't going to comply, that may be the logical next step to simply say, if you're not going to do this voluntarily, then you're going to be fined or you're going to be charged with something or other if you don't do that. And it's, it's, it's all up to us now. If we don't want to go to that stage, then we should be compliant with what we've got now. Yeah, and, and if you listen to our premier, if you listen to our prime minister, I mean, they are, they are so reluctant to take that step because, and it's not because they, 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 they don't think they can, it's that they really don't want to go there. They're really hoping that Ontarians and Canadians, uh, will, will, will comply and get the message and do the right thing. And, you know, in, in the province here, uh, we do have an order for gatherings of over 50 people. So there are, uh, there is authority for the police to, to take action if there are gatherings of more than 50 people. That's been the only piece that's come that has some, uh, you know, uh, uh, teeth to it in terms of, of fines or, or, or the like. And, you know, you hope you never have to get there. I'm not sure we have the resources, quite frankly, whether it's police, whether it's bylaw, whether it's the Ontario uh, uh, workers. Uh, I don't know how you'd enforce that, and it becomes very harsh. But um, this is a serious situation. I come back to where you started, and I come back to, you know, what Dr. Richardson and myself and the mayor have been saying for uh, uh, almost two weeks now, which is uh, there is a way to protect ourselves from this, and this is the beauty uh, if there is any beauty in this situation is if we keep that proper physical distancing and we prop, we practice proper hygiene and we don't do these risky things that can, can lead to transmission. Um, this is a virus that, uh, it actually is, is fairly straightforward how you can stop and slow some of this transmission, but it's up to us to take that, that on. And that physical distancing is a big part of it. And the uh, proper hygiene is the second big part of it. And if we do those things, uh, we, we could be in very, very good shape. Throwing those away makes it very difficult because this is, uh, is also something that can spread fairly easily when we, when we, uh, you know, get lax on, on hygiene, when we get lax on sanitation, and when we choose not to, to have that physical separation. And uh, I love what the mayor said yesterday. Uh, has been enforcing. This is not about distancing yourself from people in terms of the connection you have. It's finding different ways to be socially connected. We have to check in with folks. You know, I haven't seen my, my parents uh, uh, since this started, um, but we talk and we text and we, 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 we keep connected. Uh, it, it kills me that I can't go over for a Sunday dinner and all the rest, but and I'm sure it kills them too, but the reality is that we find other ways to be socially connected while we're physically separate. And that's just being safe and that's being, you know, a, a good part of what's uh, happening in our community. And, and we just have to find different ways to be socially connected. Well, and those ways are there. I mean, you know, not that there's a silver lining here, but I mean, we have ways of communicating. If this were 50 years ago, uh, you know, social distancing and, and, and isolation like this can be problematic because maybe people would have a telephone, but there wasn't much else they could do except write them a letter. Uh, you've got email, you've got Instagram, you've got Twitter. I mean, on and on it goes. Facebook, there's, there's ways to communicate. And all I guess you're asking is, look, at just stay in your house. Do that. Communicate that way. Because uh, as the public officials have told us, and I'm sure we're going to hear this from the Prime Minister again later on this morning, if you don't comply, this is only just, all you're going to do is just draw this thing out. It's going to go on longer and longer and longer. If you want it to end, then do what you're told, and it will end sooner. 
Yep, absolutely. And, and, you know, you're, you, you said it all there, Bill. And, and I think that there are lots of ways we can do things. And even as the city now, as we start to find the, the, the equilibrium in terms of what services will be provided and how they'll be provided. Now we're turning our attention to what are some tools and tips we can give to folks who, who are also saying, my goodness, uh, you know, uh, kids aren't in school now. And we heard the premier say yesterday that it's unlikely that April 6th is going to be this magic restarting to the school year. Mm-hmm. So what are some, what are some uh, tools and techniques? And you see the, you know, the province I know is putting out their, their online learning and their, their telelearning. We're going to also try and look at some ways that for older adult populations, for for families, for kids, that we can give some ideas and tips of, of how to keep busy and how to keep, um, you know, active in that, that sense of the word within, within the house and around your neighborhood uh, with some, some cool ideas. And what I love about the era that we're in with, uh, with uh, an easy way to share your ideas, whether it's through Twitter or YouTube or Instagram or whatever it is, is that there's all sorts of cool ideas coming out about how you can have fun how you can uh, do some some you know fun things and learning based things within your home and those are just what we're going to have to be it's innovative in terms of how we can keep each other from from going uh going a bit uh you know stir crazy in our homes and we don't want that either and we get it no. it's, a, it's a pressure on on families so i think we all need to to spend more time figuring out those innovative ways to comply with what we're being told from our health uh, officials and our elected leaders and, and make sure we're doing that. Let's find innovative ways to do that well, rather than trying to keep pushing the envelope about what exactly it means to stay at home. And uh, if we switch that around, I think we're going to be in great shape. Paul Johnson, Director of Emergency Operations for the City of Hamilton. Paul, we'll stay in touch as always. Thanks for this today. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate it. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. If we separate from each other, the virus can't survive. It's just those people that are dealing with it will get well, hopefully, most of them will anyway, but it won't spread. And it's a very long, tedious process. It's not going to happen in a day or a week, probably not even in a few months, according to the medical experts. We're going to be like this for quite some time. This is, for all intents and purposes, going to be the new normal until we get rid of this thing or learn how to deal with it. And we know still that we're probably a year away from a vaccine. So the problem we have here is that those who contract this disease uh, this virus, uh, there's no treatment, there's no medicine. You can't give them anything to do with this. So we've got to avoid the spread of it. And and people with autoimmune diseases, people with the, smokers is another group too that we found out are more prone to this as well. Uh, so there's a whole lot of people out there that are it probably, even if you are the picture of health, that person beside you may be one of those high-risk patients. You just don't know. And this is why we have to practice social distancing i know we talk about this and it gets tedious to talk about it all the time but clearly we're not doing it as much as we should and if you don't well we've got examples all over the world right now where we can say hey they didn't do it that well over here look what's happening italy comes to mind uh the numbers there are just devastating uh, abc's ian Pennell uh brings us up to speed on what's happening over there Another staggering day, over 500 deaths. But perhaps some light at the end of the tunnel for Italy. The percentage for total new infections rose 8%, single digits for the first time since this lockdown began two weeks ago. But the World Health Organization warning the pandemic is rapidly accelerating. It took 67 days from the initial reported infection to reach the first 100,000 cases. That's uh, Ian Waddell from ABC News uh, reporting on this. Uh, watching Global National last night uh, 
what really brought it home was uh, the report that Crystal Gamansing did uh, for Global National last night. Uh, she, of course, is the European Bureau Chief for Global News, and she joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show. Uh, Crystal, thank you so much for the time. I know things are pretty crazy over in the U.K. right now. I appreciate you taking some time for us today. Oh, happy to join you, Bill. Thanks for having me. Crystal, let's talk a little bit. I want, I want to kind of go in reverse order because right near the end of the report there, you showed some video of what was going on in parts of Europe. And, and I think probably the most heart-wrenching scene of that whole report was that row of cough, row after row of coffins of people that have passed away in Italy, uh, out of control, 500 alone in just the last few hours. I mean, this is, uh, if people don't get the, the depth of the devastation here, you certainly brought it home with that report last night. You know, and it's it's that, that visual, and that is not the only one. That is the hardest part to try to communicate. We we saw it happening in Wuhan and in Hubei province, and then we saw it in many other locations in in Iran, in in Spain, and in Italy, and and it's slowly sort of creeping across the world. And and you know, as we heard from the WHO, it, it's accelerating. But you know, in in Italy, there was crematorium saying that listen, we can. We can only handle 24 coffins a day, and they're getting 40, and so they're lined up. Um, in in Spain, in Madrid, they've they've taken over uh, like an ice rink and transformed it into a makeshift um, uh, mortuary because Spanish authorities just can't deal with the rising number of, of, of bodies. The, the death toll continues to climb. And if you think about it, we're hearing lots of people saying, yes, but, you know, the majority of the cases are, are mild to moderate. But even if you take the Italy situation and numbers, I will be honest, they're, they're so hard to track and they're only a sliver of what's actually happening. But let's look at Italy, for example, where they're saying, you know, the severe cases, um, or about 6% of those cases, 6% is overwhelming the Italian medical system. We don't need to be talking about, you know, 20 or 50% of people. If 6% of, of the, the population getting severe illness does that to Italy, what happens in the UK? What happens in the US? What happens back in Canada? Well, and you noticed that, and you talked about that in your reporting. Uh, we mentioned yesterday as we carried the Prime Minister's daily message, uh, uh, the frustration that he was showing about this. Uh, Premier Doug Ford, when he made his announcement later in the day, similarly getting a little ticked off. And, and in your reporting last night, obviously uh, Boris Johnson, the, the UK Prime Minister, uh, is pretty much at the end of his rope. I could sense in, in his, his, his speech to, uh, to, the, to the British public, he's, he's a little ticked off and just saying, people, you're not listening to us here. Well, and that's that's the situation, right? We heard from Boris Johnson saying yesterday, like, no, no prime minister, no leader wants to be in this position, but this is where we are. Um, right across the world, we saw requests made, then we saw rules put in, then we saw those rules enforced a little bit, then we saw a little bit stricter rules, and then they basically said, listen, we're done. We're not asking nicely anymore. This is what's happening. Now, you don't want to take away people's civil, civil liberties. You don't want to have, you know, draconian measures in place. But as we're hearing here in the UK, they're saying, listen, it comes down to this. If you ignore these rules, if you continue to go outside, if you continue to interact, know that those actions could mean someone you love or someone you know 
dies. And so they're really trying to hammer it home. And, you know, we still see in Italy people sort of uh, flouting the rules and going out and, and officials just absolutely, like you said at the end of the rope, saying, what else do we need to do? We don't understand why people aren't listening. Um, in the UK, relatively new, but, you know, of course, they came in last night. Um, this morning, people still packed into the tube. Um, I guess the question is, well, who who is an essential worker? Who doesn't have to go to work? But, you know, so people have to sort of figure these things out for themselves, but they are trying to be as clear as possible. And that is, you are to stay home unless you are following one of these very four specific reasons to be outside. Crystal, how are they handling that uh, with what they would call essential services now? And I understand that, uh, that that's one of the things that, that, that Boris Johnson talked about yesterday. Uh, if you don't need to be in business, don't be in business. If you can work at home, obviously, we know about those rules, too. But I saw those shots of, of, uh, of the tube uh, on your reporting again last night, and it, it looked like a typical rush hour, as far as I was concerned. They were jammed in there like sardines. Now there are fewer uh, there are fewer um, trains and, and buses operating. Uh, we know that the mayor of London is going to be having meetings with UK government officials to try to figure out, you know, how can they do this? They can't stop trains because essential workers still need to be able to get to work. So you know they still need to have things operating there. But you obviously can't have people, you know, back to back in a closed quarters at a time when you're telling everyone to stay indoors. You need at least two meters of separation between everyone. So you know the the question of who is an essential worker, basically every shop has been told shut down. That includes hairdressers, that includes, you know, any non-essential, the really the only services that should be offered at this point, according to what we heard from Boris Johnson and his officials, is, you know, grocery stores, yes, stay open. Pharmacies, yes, stay open. Other than that, you're not supposed to be out there offering services or working. It's just, it really comes down to people having to listen to the requests. And now it's not a request, it's a, it's a rule, and just staying home. London's a bit of a unique city, obviously, for those who have not traveled there. And I noticed when the last time I was over there talking to a friend of mine at the BBC, and I noticed a huge influx of people around 4 o'clock in the afternoon at all the pubs, and, and by 6 o'clock everything's gone. He says, because nobody lives in the city. They can't afford to. So they all come in in the morning. They do their work. They maybe socialize for an hour after their work, and then they go home. Uh, and that's still going on. Obviously, fewer numbers now because, of, as you mentioned, some of the shutdowns. But, you know, to your point about the tube and about other transit and about trains for that matter, as well. Uh, public transit is essential for that city to, to exist, and I can understand the frustration that Mayor Khan would have, and obviously Boris Johnson, as a former mayor of London, would also have about this. You just can't say, okay, everything stops, because that, that would just draw the lifeblood out of that city. It really would, and you still need, like you mentioned, you still need a way for those essential workers to get around, but it's just getting people to understand, getting businesses to say, no, we don't need to operate. And of course, this is, you know, it, it hits two things. There's a cultural issue, which you mentioned, you know, people want to interact. It's very much a, um, a service industry driven thing where you go to pubs, you go to restaurants, you shop. Um, but then there's also, you know, the hit to people's culture and then the hit to people's economy. This is a huge economic impact. People are going to sacrifice. There will be a lot of hard times as a result of this, which is why we have seen government after government come out with some form of financial safety planning for businesses and, and for people, because there is a real fear. If I don't go to work, I can't pay my rent. 
Um, and that is also driving the, the number of people who are still going into work. So clearly more work needs to be done, more information needs to be shared with people. Um, and, and really, it's coming down, to, at least in the UK, they're talking about timelines, right? The UK is very much on the Italy path. It's slower. They're saying we're about two weeks out, but they're saying that is the direction of where we're headed. We're going to see that situation. So let's get ahead of it now. Let's suppress it. Let's help the NHS be able to manage and protect people who need care um, and and hopefully not have those images of, of coffins lined up in a room. Crystal, how are the uh, the citizenry handling this? As, uh, as you, I know it's not as if you could just stop people on the streets because a lot of people are not on the streets anymore. But uh, is is there that yeah we're all in this together attitude, or is there some kind of a defiance to this and say I, what's the big deal? It really is a mix, and I will be honest. The last uh, you know. 24 hours. I haven't had a lot of interactions with people. I've been trying to do things as much as I can over the phone and and, uh, and social media is playing a big role in this, but obviously I have to make sure that, you know, I'm protected as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we will be going out and reporting when we are able and doing that as safely as possible. But uh, there is a there is a mix. You know, over the last couple of days, I've talked with a number of people. Some saying, you know, I hope I hope the um, British culture prevails, which is you know the pub life, the interactions, that sort of thing. Um, even on the weekend, you know, we were told that people were supposed to be limiting time outdoors to not be gathering. I went to a park not too far from me just to get some fresh air, and it was packed. It was absolutely packed with big groups and people can't go shop, but, you know, you can still hang out with friends. And a part of that led to Boris Johnson's um, lockdown procedure that was announced Monday night because people just weren't listening to the request. So it is, it is a bit of a mix, and I think people will start to get it a little bit more. We heard an incredibly powerful um a video that was shared with a number of, of respiratory experts from a hospital in Belfast, really, you know, being honest about their fears and saying, please don't put us at risk. Don't make our jobs harder than they have to be in these coming weeks and months. Yeah, that was uh, very moving. Again, to mm-hmm. see that number of, in their hospital, you know, and just basically saying, if you don't comply, people are going to die. And and that may sound like a harsh message, but that's the reality. And I could see that in Boris Johnson's message yesterday, too. As you mentioned, this is a lockdown situation. We're not there in, in Ontario and in Canada right now, Crystal, but I've, just before you joined us, we were saying, look, if we don't comply, that's the next step. And and you could see, I, I, I sense, as you did, that uh, Boris Johnson didn't want to go there, didn't want to have to you know, do this sort of thing and go to these extreme measures right now. But right now, if you don't comply, you're on the chance of being arrested in in the in the UK, don't you? That's exactly right. And, and you know, when I was watching Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's address the other day, and, and I believe it was just the one the other day where he said, enough is enough. Yeah. You know, they... Again, this is this is such a, a unique situation. This is, these are these are lockdowns. These are field hospitals being set up in peace times. No one's seen this before. It's very strange, and so it is new territory. And they're trying. The governments are trying to deal with this um, the best they can, uh, and and trying to get people to sort of come on side nicely. Um, but that it has to stop at some point when you start hearing from doctors and nurses and medical professionals saying, listen, 
we're going to have trouble here. Like, do something. Um, and, and to me, that's sort of the, the, the strong um, and really touching voices that we're hearing right now are from all of these health workers saying, what are you doing? Like, we need to make sure, A, we're protected, that we have the supplies that we need, and we need people to, to give us support. That's another one of the elements that I was going to ask you about. We just got a little bit of time left, or a minute or so left here. What about supplies? What about the the the, the, the pressure it's putting on the healthcare system over there? It's it's a huge problem. It's a huge problem everywhere. Um, you know, we're we're hearing more and more about different organizations working with three D printers and and opening up patents and trying to figure out how they can three D print supplies. Um, ventilators are an issue right across the world. You're talking about you know these things take some time to make. They have to get parts. They have to staff up. Um, they are already in many places over um, you know over what they would normally build, but it takes time. And then you have you know, governments basically trying to compete to get those pieces of equipment. But it even comes down to proper masks for healthcare officials, right? Um, over the weekend, we there was an acknowledgement from the health secretary here in the UK, uh, Matt Hancock, who acknowledged, yeah, there is a problem there. They don't have everything that they need. And there was a mass order and shipments being moved. We saw the video from uh, Liverpool, England yesterday with the military helping to get those supplies out. Um, we're hearing rumors and, and stories about healthcare workers wearing, um, you know, makeshift masks, uh, bandanas and, and T-shirts over their faces. We can't have healthcare systems operate in that sort of fashion. And that is a bigger and bigger challenge with, you know, not only people hoarding food, but hoarding supplies and masks. And we heard the WHO telling people months ago, hey, don't be buying up these supplies. We need them for healthcare workers. Uh, your reporting has been very instructive, especially considering, like I say, we're all facing the same global crisis right now and seem to be handling it in different ways in different parts of, of the world. Uh, watch for your reporting on Global National as always. Crystal, thank you again for the time today, and uh, stay healthy. Thank you so much. You too, Bill. Take care. Crystal Gomansing, of course, the uh, European Bureau Chief for Global News, reporting from uh, London in the UK, but obviously carrying on with some of the reporting that's happening in Italy and in Spain as well, where the numbers are just devastating. And as Boris Johnson mentioned to his people in his national address yesterday, that's what's going to happen here if you people don't comply. And that's the message I think that our political leaders are also trying to get across to us. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Joining us to talk about uh, some of the measures that have been put in place and how effective they may or may not be is Marvin Ryder, business professor at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University here in Hamilton. Morning, Marvin. How are you today? I am great. Thank you, Bill. Two very different approaches to government about how to handle the economic aspect of uh, what's happening now with the coronavirus. Uh, we have, in this country, of course, uh, huge packages of economic assistance that uh, both provincial and, and federal government, of course, are rolling out here. Uh, Doug Ford made an announcement yesterday basically uh, declaring what he considers to be non-essential businesses to shut down as of midnight tonight. What kind of an impact is that going to have on, on a local economy and on the provincial economy? Sure. So, Bill, let me just give you a little analogy, if I can. Um, I think today of coronavirus like a slow-moving hurricane. Uh, it, we've watched from Ontario, we've watched Florida over the years when a hurricane is bearing down, and what they do is they board up the houses, they board up the businesses, people move away from the coastlines, and they find shelter somewhere, 
and then they try to weather the storm. And then when the storm passes, usually in 24 hours, maybe 36 hours, everyone comes back, they take the boards off, some things have been damaged, they try to fix them, and as quickly as possible, they try to get back to business as usual. That's kind of what we're doing here, only it's a slow-moving hurricane, a hurricane that's probably going to take 8 to 12 weeks to pass. So what we're asking businesses to do is, if, you, if you're not essential, just shut down. Now, that leaves small business owners with a lot of questions. Well, that's easier for you to say, Marvin, but, but what am I supposed to do? Well, yes, you're going to lay off your staff. And the government's got some plans to help those staff people through the unemployment insurance or through the uh, emergency sheltering uh, benefit. They've got some plans for them. Well, what about me? I've got rent to pay. Well, again, the government's got some plans around that. They're not going to have people evicted. They've asked the banks, and the banks have agreed that they're going to do some things. And what we're trying to do is just create this pause in our economy, but it's going to be a pause that's three months long. So to give you an example, by, by probably uh, two weeks from now, we'll get some data on unemployment in Canada for the month of March. Don't be surprised if our really happy 5% unemployment rate shoots up to 25 or 30% unemployment, but it's a temporary thing. We're just shutting everything down for the time being and trying to get to the other side of it. As opposed to, you know, trying to everyone just, well, let's muddle through this. Some people will. If you're an essential service, uh, for instance, if you're a grocery store, if you're a gas station, we actually want you to stay open. We want you to try to muddle through this and the government to try to help you because things aren't normal. They're going to give you a bit of a wage subsidy so that you can cover some of the costs here. And, and the idea is they're going to keep inventing things to keep things going until we can get to the other side. But the two, two problems, first is we don't know how long it's going to take to get to the other side. As we look at data coming out of Korea, we look at data coming out of China, the magic numbers seem to be 8 to 12 weeks until the local crisis passes. But that doesn't mean we suddenly open up the border because we've got to get the rest of the world also to have passed the crisis. So it could take us four months, five months, six months before this thing is done around the world. But I think right now, if people can get in their heads that we've got 8 to 12 weeks until this, this hurricane passes by us, then we'll get to a better thing on the other side. How flexible and how pliable are governments to be able to, to put programs in place to deal with this? Uh, for instance, we just heard this morning the Ontario government has announced that they were lowering hydro rates. Well, they're going to be lowered to the, to the off-peak rate, uh, which is going to save, I guess, a few bucks on everybody's household bill. Uh, there's some talk about uh, you know, how banks are going to handle this. You know, are people going to be able to make their mortgage payments? Uh, I mean, th this can be problematic the longer this goes on. Is there a contingency plan in place to, to be able to handle some of this stuff? Well, I, I, I hate to shock everybody, but I'm going to say no, because we've never been down a road like this before. You know, maybe, maybe the closest thing to this would have been the, the Spanish flu in 1918. Uh, there's a nice story in today's Spectator, some of the things that Hamilton did back in 1918. But none of us lived through that. I was only seven at the time, so I don't remember it all that well. Um, uh, so we've not done something like that in modern times, and thus governments are making it up on the fly. In fact, part of the legislation that Justin Trudeau wants to pass today in Ottawa is to uh, have Parliament give him some power which he can use without having to recall them. Now, you know, I realize people say, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're a democracy here. This is not a dictatorship. But just reassembling enough people to have Parliament function for there to be a quorum in Parliament for a vote to be held 
it's a difficult thing under these times, uh, and, and I think we have to have a certain amount of trust that for a period of time, again, I'm thinking probably about 12 weeks, let's give them a little leeway, a little flexibility to do what they feel they have to do. But I also tell you that whatever they approve today is not the end of it. There will be other support as problems are discovered and people went, oh, I completely forgot about that industry, whatever that industry happens to be, and they'll find new supports for them then. Yeah, the, the term bailout is being used uh, rather liberally, excuse that small L liberally, uh, <laughs> over the last little while. But really, do governments have any choice? Well, we, we just can't have all these businesses fail during this period of time. We can't have them all go into bankruptcy. Now, I'll be candid with you, Bill. There probably will be some businesses that will fail. If they were on the edge of failure before coronavirus hit, this will tip the balance and some of them will go. But we don't want a lot of that, just like individuals. We don't want individuals suddenly claiming uh, bankruptcy because they were living close to the edge. A few people may, a few people may have too much debt. They, they just couldn't do any planning, and this is going to be so disruptive, they may find themselves ultimately declaring bankruptcy. But what the government is trying to do is create this pause. And so for three months, let's just everyone pause, just like the hurricane is going by. Let's shelter in, a, in some place where we're all nice and safe, and then we'll emerge, and then let's try to get everything restarted. Uh, but we've never done it for this length of time before, and that's why this is uh, being invented on the fly. Well, it certainly seems that way. And as you say, it seems every time the Prime Minister makes us, uh, an address, and which is on a daily basis now, uh, there's a new variation on that as something else comes along and says, well, there's a consequence to this too. So this, uh, this uh, as I mentioned earlier, seems to be the new normal right now. I, I understand your analogy with the hurricane, but, boy, it feels like it's just sitting over our property right now instead of moving it on at all. And that's, and, that's and I think, the is. greater frustration. And you, and you are absolutely right. It is parked over top of us. Uh, you actually have a little sense of what the people in New Orleans went through with Katrina when Katrina parked over New Orleans, not for four hours or five hours, but it was two or three days, and then the flood, and then this. And for a couple of weeks, their lives were massively disruptive. And, and we could sit back here and sympathize with them, but it wasn't us. This is different. The hurricane is affecting all of us. It's not going to be here for a day or two or three. It's going to be here for uh, two or three months uh, and, and we're going to have to find a way to get around this. And so, yes, uh, 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 an economy is a very connected thing. A is connected to B, is connected to C, is connected to D. And when you disrupt any one piece of that, you've got other problems along the way. And I think the government is doing what it can. But, again, to use an example, airlines are still flying, but they're not flying as many routes and ultimately, over time, as more and more of us are home, wherever home happens to be, the number of flights will probably go down. So I don't think we're finished hearing about layoffs or, or, or parking planes at Air Canada or WestJet. The longer this goes on, the more of those they will park. But on the other side of this, when we get past this, imagine this is July or August, and this is now all in the rearview mirror, we don't want Air Canada to be financially bankrupt. And I get the idea of this word bailout, and I get how, how awful that is, but there are, there's a, a permanent bailout and there's a temporary bailout. It's kind of like a bank offers you a loan if you want to buy a car, 
but it also gives you this thing called a line of credit that you can use to bridge. So suddenly you find you need to put a new roof on your house. You don't have to take a term loan, but you can use your line of credit, pay for the new roof, and then pay it back over time. Is this kind of financing that the government is trying to play with, especially with the business community, to get them through what again appears to be this about three-month period? Marvin Ryder at the DeGroote School of Business. As always, Marvin, thanks so much for this today. Great talking with you. Glad to be with you, Bill. Stay healthy. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.